Father. You already know the purpose of this presentation. It was inspired by you, and I'm your servant. But I recognize in you that this agenda is your agenda. So accomplish it in your humble servant. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's say amen, everybody. My name is Doris Gothard, and what a privilege. And I tell you, even some of my friends and family from Michigan, from the Detroit, Michigan area, Glenn and his wife are here and brought me a gift. I didn't even know they were in the audience a few minutes ago, so thank you very much for that. I appreciate each one of you. So this is a business unusual financial seminar. And I worked with the ASI team. This is my first time being invited to have it such that it met the purpose for this ASI convention. Because the title of this presentation uh, is The Way to Wholeness and Well-Being. And so the ASI team and I went back and forth a little bit, didn't want to get this wholeness and wellness confused with what we're doing here, all of the good things in the health area. So I said, well, how about just adding a word or two and saying, the seminar will be titled The Way to Wholeness and Well-Being. It is a business unusual financial seminar. Now, I am not a Susie Orman or any of those gurus, but what I am is a child of the king, and I will share with you what he gave me what he taught me when I wrote my first book entitled Seven Steps to Wealth. Now, this is an unusual way of going through a financial seminar, so you don't have to worry that it might be over your head or anything like that because even a seven-year-old can understand it. And my purpose is ministry, and I hope and pray that you will be able to share this uh, with your family, with your kids, your grandkids, and other individuals in your home, church, and community. The purpose of the ASI convention is to equip people, to equip people for ministry. We heard our president reiterate it last uh, night, a business unusual purpose in ministry because we are all waiting for the soon return of Jesus who? Jesus Christ. And so we want to prepare people for the second coming and seminars like this will hasten the coming of Jesus Christ if we can learn and to apply some of these principles. I had my artist, um, the, gra the, the graphics uh, design artist for my books, to do a really nice picture, which I wanted to frame and place it in my home, uh, that represented who I am and where I came from. Now, this is a very colorful picture. And I was a leader in my home. I'm the oldest of four children. And I was also a leader in those Alabama farms down there. This is quite different, this depiction, um, of how it really was back then, which I think is the inspiration that has helped me to become whom Jesus has, um, has uh, enabled me to become today. I'm leading out here in the cotton fields. That's my younger sister. She never learned to pick cotton. But I became the best and the greatest cotton picker that the state of Alabama ever had. I picked more cotton in one day than a whole congregation of church people could pick in a week. 
I was just that good. I really was. But let me just show you if this is going to work. Okay, this is how I, this is me. This is how it really was then. Not nearly like the artist's depiction. But I can choose because the Lord has empowered me to choose what I want to think, who I want to be, and how I want to get there. That's how it was with a sack wrapped around my neck and 100 degree plus temperatures. And that's from the time the sun came up in the morning until the sun set in the evening. So I know the value of hard work. And I'm just transferring some of this experience, hopefully in a very positive way, so that it will encourage and motivate young people that have so much more in your lives today than I ever thought was even possible. But God is good. And so he took care of me, and now I'm here fellowshipping with you. This clicker is not working very good, and this is not mine. Okay. All right. So from the cotton fields, how business unusual is that? From the cotton fields to the corporate office at General Motors as a corporate leader, which is where I retired from, I now have my own business. In my mind, I have my own business. I walk and talk like I have my own business. I don't have any customers, but I'm still president and CEO of my own company. Now, how business unusual is that? So for every young people that's here, you have to think, act, and talk like the person that you want to be. And begin to do that as it relates to your own personal finances. And so in the course of the day, I used all of the skills that I learned in those cotton fields. And then I just started writing books after retirement. And you can see the two subjects that I feel helped me not just um, exist, in a corporate environment, but I thrived. And I walked and talked like I was somebody. And people respect you when you can carry yourself in a way that you aspire to be. I've always tried to associate with very positive people in my life, with Jesus being at the head of my life. And I learned on the farm how to cook. So I'm, a, I'm a very good cook. And you will be able to experience it at the end of the presentation because I get it. You'll be filling out an evaluation form, and I want you to have a taste of some goodness before you mark any low number for my presentation, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> this is the introduction that I wrote because you're, most of you, I would imagine, are ASI members. And from the materials that I've read since I've been here and all my handouts, this is what I learned. This is the 2019 International Convention. Amen, everybody? Amen. All right. It is titled Business Unusual. And so you already know where your next convention is going to be next year. I think I'm just going to show up down there with just cookies. We have been given a unique call. And what is that call? You can read from the screen to do what? At least three people said it. We can all say it. To do what? Spread the... And so during this financial presentation, Unusual, I hope to inspire you today with an uplifting seminar by offering you some practical tools that are designed to equip you to use your physical and your spiritual talents 
to help hasten the soon coming of Jesus Christ. And in very short, I thought this would be helpful to us. We all know that in that whole process, we know what the plan of salvation is. Most of us know. If there's anyone who doesn't know, or if I'm sharing it with you on one slide to help you to see the whole big picture, the plan of salvation is to hear the gospel, believe in Christ, repent of our sins, confess faith in Jesus Christ, and then to do what? Be what? Be baptized. That's the whole plan. And so since we understand that, Okay, so now it's time to let God be what? Let God be God. A little research on this whole topic called finances. Bible research reveals 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 verses on faith in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, but over 2,000, can you see the number? Let's read it together. Over 2,300 and what? 50 verses in the Bible itself that are on the subject of money. God has said a lot to us in the Bible about money. And I believe that these Bible verses, all 2,350 that are about money, deal with specific business unusual ways for us to earn, to save, to spend, to invest. And yes, 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 I do mean it when I say, and to give money. In our local churches, I believe firmly with all my heart that not every need needs to be dealt with by a church board. God has gifted and blessed his people, young and old, and sometimes we can just give of our own means. Can the church say amen to that? To help someone else in need. 15% of everything Jesus said in the Bible related to two things, money and what? Money and possessions. And that's why I'm honored that ASI, that they, see, they see it. Otherwise, they would have never approved a business unusual seminar such as this. And that is to just talk about finances from the context of what the Bible says. Now it's time for us to acknowledge God's ownership because most of us, during our worship service, this is what we do. So let's just read it together because this is what we do. Let's read it together. God gave us a what? Body. And we are to what? Love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our strength and with all our what? Mind. There's the scripture. Let's read the next thing. We're just acknowledging who owns everything. God gave us what? Abilities. We are to do what? cultivate the talents the Holy Spirit gives each one of us in order to do what? Multiply. Multiply our abilities. That's how we serve, with that belief and that mindset. The last two, and we all know these four. Let's read it together. God gave us what? Time. Time. And whatever our job, we must work at it with all our what? I have to stand up. Anything I do from the cotton fields to standing here with you, I do it with all my heart. And I take it very seriously. Let me just say that I came to this room an hour and a half before the session, not really knowing why I would ever come. But I am so inspired by the ASI members that I have met here until I just want to go and tell the whole world, you know, join, let's join. 
The people have just been wonderful to me. And it's like another world that I did not know. But I'm not going to forget, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going back to Detroit, and I'll be talking about it. There was a gentleman here using the room as a prayer room. And I came in, and I apologized. I didn't mean to disrupt. But we had prayer together on our knees. He knew not, he said, why the Lord had brought him to this room for prayer and what he was supposed to be praying about. And he prayed for me, and I felt the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, it's going to be good. It's going to be all right. And so the Lord has filled the room with you. Let's read the last one. God gave us what? Material possessions, yes. We're living in a district. Oh, I saw an antique car on the street right, on, right out in front of the galt. It was just beautiful. He entrusts us to be what? Good stewards. He is the source of every good and perfect gift. God's gifts to me in my life are better than any gift that I could purchase at Neiman Marcus or Nordstrom's or Macy's or Kohl's or Sears. And I know I'm saying some names of stores that are now closing. Uh, they are, aren't they? And we, we're not going to get into that, but I know the young people know the root cause of why they're closing. It starts with a company by the name that starts with an A, because people can get what they want <laughs> without having to go to the store. And it can just be delivered next day or within two days right at your door. This last verse, when I read Deuteronomy 8.18, is what inspired me after my retirement to find a purpose in my life beyond running departments in a corporate environment. And it was when I uh, realized in the city of Detroit that there were so many families suffering, and the Bible says God provides us with the power to get wealth. And I'm not talking about just money, but I'm talking about every avenue, every resource. It is God who provides the power for it. And so I'm no longer uncomfortable just saying that word wealth because the Bible uses it in Deuteronomy 8.18. And that's when I wrote my first book, and I don't intend to go back to Detroit, Michigan, so I'll just do commercial break right now. This is the first book that I wrote, and I think I've done eight so far. It's entitled Seven Steps to Wealth. And so um, I only brought six, and you all are not going to make me lug those back on the airplane here, so you can uh, donate it to someone in your community or your network for only $15. I plan to have uh, six people that will take them. Amen? Thank you. I appreciate that. Okay. Well, it doesn't want to work again. Okay, I'll sit down. God uses our given as a test of our commitment to him. And my final statement on this is 16 of the 38 parables of Christ dealt with money in some way. Christ spoke about money and possessions more than heaven and hell combined. The only subjects Jesus spoke of more often are love and the kingdom of God. And so, the way to financial wholeness and well-being, that's business unusual. When you take a look at how many times the Bible talks about money, 
And how often do we really have seminars that are biblically based that deal with money? I think every church in every inner city needs to have someone that's, that's giving some seminars to them to help people in inner cities in particular understand how to better manage the money that they have, the wealth that they have. It doesn't have to be a lot. They just need to understand how to better manage it. And then a better result will come as a result of it. And I think souls can be won to the kingdom as a result of it. And that doesn't discredit that the Bible studies and, and prophecy uh, meetings and things are not important. But there are some basic needs that people have in the world today. And they need ASI people by the large numbers that will continue to do this. And I pray that I'm speaking to your heart and that you will carry this forward because there's a tremendous need for it. I have given more of these books away than anyone who has ever handed me a donation of $15. It's not about that. It's about trying to get a tool in their hand so that it can be ministry to their souls. I have tried to live by, since my graduation from college, the 70-20-10 rule as an Adventist, and that is 70% of whatever income I have to deal with uh, God first, savings, and then uh, to living expenses. And I just think that young people need to, uh, to really grasp this. That 70-10 rule is a wealthy rule, in my view. And the Lord has led me from where I came from to exactly this place. And then after that, you've got student loan debt. May perhaps not very many people here from ASI, but many, stu many students in America are heavily burdened with student loan debt and car payments. And some car payments are higher than they should because of the high interest rates for a number of reasons that we're paying for. And then credit card debt. I used to be heavily burdened with credit card debt. Now I'm free. I don't have it. Credit cards should be a tool to use, not something that weights you down with the burden of debt, paying a high interest rate. Learn to live um, debt-free, and it is possible if Jesus is at the helm. And then you spend whatever you have left after the 70-20 rule. This is the only way this is going to work, and that's if I sit down. I believe that this 70-20 rule, which I've been using during all of my, uh, my adult life, is the key to financial success. So my goal in this presentation is to give you seven business unusual tools. And I want to know, I want you to think, you don't have to really say it to me, but what's in your financial toolbox? Now, have you ever heard a presenter on finances say to you, and I don't think Dave Ramsey has ever said this, have you ever heard someone say to you that your money has a personality? And that along with personalities, like people have personalities, there are attitudes associated with it. Well, we're going to see some cartoons. And I'm going to share with you, because I like to make it fun so that you can share it with your kids. Yes, money has a personality, and it's coming from you and me. And it also has attitudes, and they all come from you and me. No matter how rich or poor, money has a personality. And the key to your financial success is to understand the personalities. And when you understand the personalities, you can better manage the attitudes that we have. 
when it comes to this whole subject of money. Many young marriages that started out beautiful end up very distasteful, all because the bride and the groom never had anyone to explain to them the personalities of money. And so it's only going to work if I sit down. So what's in your financial toolbox? Here we go. Tool one. Some of us in this room are what? Savers. But then a saver needs to go to the doctor. Because when the doctor sees a patient, and let's just say that's Dr. Jesus, there is a prognosis, there is a diagnosis, and then there's a prescription. And nowadays, anybody that goes to see a doctor, a medical doctor, you're going to walk out of the office with a prescription. So everyone in here today is going to walk out of here with a prescription, not in your hand, but in your mind, based upon what you have grasped from this unusual financial presentation. So there are savers. That's in the toolbox. Tool number two, there are what? Spenders. And these are individuals, the soon as they get the paycheck, it happens a lot to inner city families. They just spend, 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 spend. Tool three, procrastinators. There are some individuals who have not yet done their tax returns from last year, maybe even five years ago. There are some Adventist Christians that I worship with, and they haven't done their taxes Maybe fear, maybe a lot of other reasons. But then there are those of us that just procrastinate when it comes to our health. And this seminar is about wholeness and wellness. We can put other members of the family ahead of us because of what the doctor's visit would cost. We just procrastinate. Yes, I know I need to go and get checked up. But then we delay it and we delay it. All of those things are very costly. Tool number four, some are fretters. And I make fun with this. Because I think fretters are people that just fret over every single penny. And I don't think fretters have any hair on their head. But of course, um, in here, most people seem like they have a lot of hair. But I'm married to uh, a man that, he's bald-headed, he doesn't have any hair. And he is indeed a fretter. He just frets, 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 because he says, you know, I spend, spend, spend. Uh, but we still have a joyous relationship, because I know how to just rub his head and kiss on top of it and make him feel better, even though he doesn't have any hair there. I love my fretter. Can you say amen, everybody? We got some fretters in here, and you know who you are. Tool number five, all avoiders. These are individuals, and this can affect your finances too, if you, are, you just avoid and don't want to take a new job opportunity. You don't want to take on any risk. Some risk-taking is good. And much can be accomplished if you're willing to just step outside of the normal. A trust in God, of course, but take a little risk from time to time. You'll be okay. Tool number six, Christians have a way of thinking about casinos and where people go. We now have casinos in Detroit. I don't know where everybody is from here, but we know what a casino is, amen? Yes, and so we avoid it like the plague. Not saying that's bad, I'm not encouraging it. 
But we think about people who go to casinos and people who gamble as people that cannot be reached for Christ. Did you know that probably um, uh, doctors and lawyers are more prone to do something like this than anyone else? Because they're used to making those snap decisions, you know, in, in, in the surgery room and, or in the courtroom. Gamblers. But there's hope for a gambler. I mean, if he goes to the right doctor. And then um, uh, tool number seven, and I may have one more, Puritans. They just don't, they have money, but they don't want to spend any of the money. And they would rather wear a cardboard box. They'll talk about me because I like to have a few shoes, not thousands of pairs, but a few, and a few different colors mixed in there. I like shoes. But I'm willing to go buy a pair of shoes versus putting on a cardboard box on the bottom of my foot. I say those are Puritans. And then tool number eight, these are misers. They have plenty, and yet surrounded by needs, and they would rather hold on to all of it. Tool number nine, and this is what I call, I'm sorry, uh, mixed marriages. But there's hope for those who are in a mixed marriage, whether it's based on religion or whether it's, is my time up? I still have a few more minutes. Oh, you just come into the class. Oh, good. I thought you were one of the assistants. Okay. Money has a personality and what emotions are in your toolbox? I hope you have enjoyed going through these cartoons because this is the business unusual financial seminar that I think just kind of brings us um, kind of all together. A seven-step journey using biblical principles to correct bad habits is what the Lord helped me to uh, come to when I wrote Seven Steps to Wealth. And so here's step one in this book. Seven Steps to Wealth. Step one is to do what? Check your emotions. Because we now know that your money has personality, and it's based upon your personality. And each personality has an emotion. But do you know the good thing about all nine or ten of those personalities that we just went through? I don't know which one you are trying to decide. Well, I'm a saver. Oh, no. Well, I'm a spender. Well, no. No. Here's the deal. We all have every one of those personalities in us. All of them. Including the gambler. Because we may not gamble with money, but we gamble with other things. And so we are all responsible to hang in here together so that we can get this thing right and have balance in the physical and the spiritual in our life. Both are very, very important. That's the business unusualness about this seminar. We need to understand our emotions about money and why we do some of the things with it that we do. And to me, that's a great prescription, especially if you have emotional spending. So the savers and the spenders. I'll just give you a quick look at how I took them to the doctor. Let's just do procrastinators and fretters. The procrastinators and the fretters need to get their records in order one step at a time. Don't procrastinate on your taxes. 
And don't fret with your wife or your kids about spending every penny. Fretters, but fretters, but fretters, like the one I'm married to, he's never going to be in any big financial trouble. And so that's a blessing in my life. So the goal is to encourage him, let's eat out sometime. I don't mind chopping up the onions and the peppers to make the veggie patties most every day. But every now and then, can you give a girl a break? And let's just not focus on fretting over every single little penny. Just take me out, and even if you don't want to eat, watch me eat a salad. (laughs) It's not always about the money. It's about just doing what you know you need to do to focus on the other person sometime. And let's just give each other a break. Can you say amen to that? Okay, I'm telling you. It's going to be some good husbands coming out of here and better wives too. The avoiders and the gamblers. Now, this is going to Dr. Jesus. And so I said, if you are an avoider or a gambler, like like statistics show for doctors and lawyers and people like that, look, even for us, if you're going to go to the mall, it's best sometimes to take cash because that kind of limits you to what you might spend and you won't be emotional about things. And I say that's true even for our senior citizens when they come to camp meeting because, you know, we have a lot of booths and a lot of things that we're trying to offer and sell at camp meeting. And some of our senior citizens get caught up into the emotion of all of that, and they're really committing and buying things, uh, books and things like that, and setting them up on payment plans that they really, I'm just saying, this is my personal view, it's, it's emotional, a lot of it is, and it extends them beyond where they should be because they're seniors with fixed incomes. There's so many ways we can minister to individuals in the church, around the world, so that we can have people have a better life. Do you agree with that? Do you agree? Okay. Okay, Puritans and misers. Well, very quickly, the Puritans believe money is for necessities only. And so, therefore, they have very few necessities. And, 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 but, but then, they, they need to separate their feelings about doing good versus doing well. It's always right to do good. Always. Now, misers mistrust others. And as some of our senior citizens that are among us in the places of worship grow older, much prayer and care should be demonstrated to them because they grow more towards being, they, they, they mistrust, they distrust, they don't trust. And I've had that experience of working with at least five senior citizens who live to be at the age of 100 to 104 years old. And in their senior years, they had family members living, but they had lived long years, so they had very little trust for even people that were in their immediate families. There's so much joy received in voluntary service and ministry to people who are in need. Enjoy life. The sky won't fall. Misers and mixed marriages is generally not about the money. It's generally about some other subject that's going on in that relationship. So there's hope for a mixed marriage, so you just need to sit down and talk. It's a deeper thing going on. Talk, 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 talk. There's hope for all of these various personalities. And so uh, I said this would be a biblically-based presentation, 
And I'm going to remind us of Matthew 25, um, uh, verse 24 and 25. You know the story. Money is a talent to be used. Five talents should earn five more. Two talents should earn one more. But if you only have one talent, it shouldn't be buried. Amen? Stop buying, spending to satisfy, prove, or to be happy, or to look good, or to impress. And I hope there's no one with a Jones name in here, but it's not personal to you. I'm just using it to make a point to impress anybody, including the Joneses. Not a good thing to do. Step number two, which is in this book, there's only seven. Step number two, be honest Be honest with yourself, be honest with God, and don't bend the truth about your finances. Don't try to come across and project that you are more and have more than anybody else. I'd I'd always just like to uh, just be who God called me to be. How about you? Just be that, and you'll be the best person. Be honest. Honesty is a learned moral virtue. It's a steward's moral character. Now, that's what I believe. Honesty is a valuable personality trait. Let me tell you this. During my 30 years of working in corporate America at General Motors, I would much rather hire an individual that was a trustworthy individual than someone who had the highest GPA. Good character. And those are things to look for. And that's why in a lot of the interview questions, they are intended to help uh, the the hiring leaders get a sense of who you really are as a person. Even though that transcript is important, it's not the most important thing. Amen, everybody? Yes. The spiritual concept of honesty in my view, and I don't know if my view is narrow, but I think it's through, through tithing. And that's a learned experience that I praise God for. I, I didn't start out there, but I moved uh, through my spiritual journey, and I'm at that place now. And I pray that this will be an encouragement to you, because I don't know where you are in your consistency along those lines. Because I think that in, uh, in my worship experience, very little should be said about this subject because we know that that is what God has asked us to do, commanded us to do. And if you're going to spend any time in this whole subject of talking about any uh, stewardship in the church, it should be about just giving from your heart in terms of how God has blessed you. Does everybody, do you understand that point? Okay, God bless you all for that. One of my favorite scriptures, and just talking about this whole subject of the way to wholeness and well-being, um, a business unusual financial way of looking at it, is the story of the blind man. The Bible calls him that, blind Bartimaeus, in Mark chapter 10. This This is what I loved about it. He didn't give up. I mean, he went to that street corner every single day. It was like he had a job, like he was a seeing person. And I don't believe that he came from nothing. I think that his family had some resources. But he had this issue, and he had eyes of faith, and he believed that if he could get anywhere near Jesus, that he would find help. I have to tell you that that's where I found myself um, at, at, at a station in my life. And I looked to Jesus And he helped me 
to become whole and well in this whole financial area. I hope that I have implied, you know, my own personal testimony just in those few words to let you know I know where God has brought me from. And I want to use the rest of my life, even though it may be in a business unusual format, testimony, I'm going to keep on doing it anyway until Jesus comes to say, if you look to him, he will lift you up out of a whole lot of things that you will never be able to do in your own strength, and there's nobody else that could do it for you except him. I believe Jesus. I believe God, and he is the source and strength of my life. Amen, everybody? Jesus asked blind, blind Bartimaeus when he finally got to him, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I remember being in that place, and I said, Lord, I want you to help me pay off this student debt, loan debt, and my credit card debt. That's what I need. And it took a journey, but it wasn't the rest of my life, because I'm standing here before you. I am not in the grave, and I'm telling you, I am living a debt-free life. I don't owe anybody anything. Amen. 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 (laughs) So what? Except what? Oh, love. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I agree. Except love. Yes. I, I, I said that earlier in my introduction, didn't I? Yes. Thank you, my brother. The blind man said... Rabbi, he just, he had a request. He said, I just want to see. And that's all we have to do. If you want to be free of anything, any weight, just tell Jesus what you need him to do for you and believe that he will do it and it's done. If you want to pass your next board certification to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, never go into those exams thinking that you are just that smart that you can do it on your own because you just might slip up on one section. So just take Jesus with you, even though he's gifted you to be all of that and then some. Just say, Lord, I trust you. And then you can go in by faith. And Jesus said to him, go. Because your faith has made you whole. I love this story. And it wasn't a long delay. It didn't take months. The Bible says that that answer came to blind Bartimaeus immediately. God is just that good. He really is. Be honest. Your faith will make you whole. If you want financial wholeness and well-being, if you don't leave with anything else... All you have to do is just tell Jesus what you want him to do for you. And then by faith, trust and believe. I believe it. It sounds simple. But I challenge you, try it. (laughs) Step number three, get control. Don't be a slave to debt. Shift your priorities. My husband and I sat down and thinking about the families in the city of Detroit, you know, and, and the things that we would hear on the news, and some of them just, just stirred my soul, and I didn't agree with it. Look, the poorest of the poor people in, in, the, in the country, in the world, it's not that much difference between them and us. They care about their children just like you and I care about our children. Now, they may not have had some of the same opportunities that some of us have had, but here's what I believe. I believe that, okay, I title these like MasterCard and Master just to, for you to get an understanding of what I'm trying to portray here. I'm a math major. 
you know, in, 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 in this diagram. And I believe that most people, at the lowest of the lowest income, most of them try to pay their bills. If you go through the streets of the inner city where I live, they're trying to pay the bills that they have. If that's the cell phone or whatever, or utility bill, they're lined up when they get their income checks, and they're trying to pay it. Okay, here's what we do, and this is my family, my ASI family. I believe that one of the first things we do, if you're a good steward, is before you pay any bill, we are taking care, preparing our envelopes for our tithes and offerings. Amen? Amen. That's, how, that's how we do it. I had to learn it. I wasn't born into this faith. It's, 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 it, it works. It's a blessing. That's one of the first things that we do. Then why can't we minister to others that have less? And they just need to switch it around. Because if they keep following this, as soon as they pay that cell phone bill or the utility bill and just pay those bills, then they spend whatever they have left. How are they going to build anything? Saving, if any, is just not there. But over here on, on, on God's side, this is my ASI family. Here's what we do. Why can't we share this good news? We take care and honor God first, and then we save next. And I believe this principle should go from your personal life, even in the church. The church should have, every local church ought to have a savings plan. That's what I think. Before you start distributing to any ministry department, there should be something set aside for savings. And then pay the bills, the operating expenses, which is what we do in our home. And then if there's anything left over, that's when Don and I spent. That's it. That's the way to wholeness and well-being, following God's plan. And with his plan, I can't tell you that I'm really, I really have any real need right now. Might be a few things that I want. But God is a good provider. He really is. Your credit reports, and I'm getting close here to the end. Probably have about 20 more minutes. In this country, that's how our character is assessed. And that's based upon what those three or four credit bureaus think about you, say about you. But when it comes to your our credit profiles. Every person, I don't care how rich you are, you need to check with each one of those agencies because they are separate entities. And there's always somebody else's information on your profile from year to year that doesn't belong to you. And so no one is going to come and knock on your door or dial you up on your phone to say, well, you haven't checked it. And so I'm just encouraging all of us. God, listen, I want to be God's superstar. I know what it's like not to have, you know, a high credit report rating. When I came through my college years and they came on my university campus and they gave all of us a credit card with a $200 limit with no instructions about how to use it, when not to use it, I mean, I just used it, 
And I didn't think that they were going to ask me to pay for anything because they didn't ask for it. They gave it to me. It was nothing I had to do for it. And those are sometimes the first ticks in the very beginning that get us on that downward spiral of not having a, a, an 852 or 900 credit score. Young people are at risk if we don't help them. Whether I want to buy the product or not, I want to be qualified to buy everything and anything that I might want or need without being charged at the highest interest level. And so I'm just suggesting that at all age groups, that you look for old information, bankruptcies, seven-year-old lawsuits, or any commingled account where you signed your name on, a, on an agreement, on a contract, to try to help someone, a son or daughter or niece, nephew, to buy something. And then you just forgot that you signed it. And then if they default on it, guess who's responsible? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Yes. That's the way it works. And on all credit cards, this is just my rule of thumb uh, in this Business Unusual seminar, I just think if your credit limit on your credit card is 15000 I would not advise that you run it up to $14,999. I'd say never above 50%. And then even then, I mean, how I have learned to manage my own um, uh, expenses uh, with credit cards now is, if I charge 15000 on it, I know without question that when that statement comes and it says due by August the 8th, that I have the 15000 to just write the check. Amen, everybody? Amen. That's how you manage. Don't pay anybody any interest. No. Or otherwise, just don't use it. <laughs> Unless it's a matter of life and death. Okay. You just got to lighten up. And it, it, yeah, I used to think that just having a a whole wallet full of credit cards in my younger years was an impressive thing to do. You know, going into Macy's or whatever those stores were. It's not anymore. Have one or two cards that you can travel the world with because not all credit cards are accepted around the world. Know which ones those are. And uh, two or three cards is more than sufficient. Uh, keep every, keep, I carry one most of the time and everything else is in a lockbox at home. That's it, period. Just don't try to cancel anything uh, in multiples all at once, because that will trigger in a way that will damage. Do we understand each other? Okay, very good. Here are the credit scores, and let me just share this with you. I shared last night, for those of you who were there, I told you what my first job was, where it came from, from the cotton fields to the corporate office, and now to an ASI seminar convention presentation. How business unusual is that? This is like the best. But these are the credit scores. And there was a one, there was a time in my life, you should have known from where I came from, I was here. And this is how the, 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 this is how the world looked at me. No longer. Take one guess without me telling you any more about me. Where do you think I am on this scale? Absolutely, I heard it. I don't need to hear but one person say it. I'm a superstar, and I know exactly how to stay a superstar for Jesus because that enables me to do more, to help more, to help others. Don't live above your means no matter if your income is $250,000 a year or more. You can still live above your means. Don't. Just try to live within your means. 
No need to impress. Just live within your means so that you can do more for Jesus. You see the questions that I have here. I was just thinking outside of the box, simply because this is a business unusual seminar. And I'm not trying to get in anybody's business, but I just said, is your car payment greater than your tithe per month? I mean, don't answer, but these are just little checks that we can do to just make sure we stay you know, in, in the will of the Lord. Is your mortgage or your rent payment greater or equal to 25% of your gross income per month? Now, that's some pretty deep thinking. Think about it. And, you know, whether you answer yes or no, then that helps you uh, to use whatever personality you have about money or where you need to adjust some of your attitudes about money. These are just questions that I just made up because I thought they might challenge you to think in a business unusual way about some of the decisions that you are making in your life now. And I see young faces here and you're not probably at that place yet because you're still living with parents or relatives, but you'll need to think along these lines, not the usual way, but in a business unusual way. That's how we are going to uh, develop and equip our young people to be leaders. They will be leading and going forward in the leadership of this church. And not too, too many years distance, in the next 20 years, we won't have Pastor Wilson leading the world church. It will be one of these young people. Young, uh, I don't know if women will be able to do it then, but let's just say, think out of the box, that maybe in 20 years they might be able to. But whomever it is, this is the time that we want to equip young people um, and others to be leaders uh, in this church. Make a commitment to the Lord to get control of your finances, and I base that on Scripture, Proverbs 16, 13. Can you just read that text with me? It's right large enough on the screen. I think we can see it. What does the Bible say in terms of getting control? Do what? Commit to the Lord... Whatever you do and what? Your plans what? I say, say those two words again. Okay, that's not an if. Do you believe God's word? It's true. So you just claim it. That's it. It's simple. Pay off your debt. In this book, I'm not going to read every one of these letters up here, but these are the five steps that I have written. If you have any debt and you want to pay it off, I wrote down five steps. The Lord gave them to me. They worked for me. And I just believe by faith they'll work from you. It shouldn't take 10, 15, 20 steps. Five. That's it. This is how some of our churches are working. This is in a usual way of working in the church as it relates to those funds that are coming in the church. You see the lines, oh, I told you I'm a math major, lines just going everywhere. This department needs something, and so they go to that department. Well, you let me have so-and-so and so-and-so, we're trying to put this on. And it's just like spaghetti all over everywhere. God is a God of order. And he has already blessed this church. And so for some, it may seem like a business unusual way, even as we relate to our finances, starting at the local level. So I'll show you this slide. And so, math major, I just sat down, I just drew another slide. Based upon how I believe God has things structured. 
And so take this back wherever you are. This may seem to some as business unusual, but that works for me, and I think that's according to God's perfect plan. Let those resources come into a stewardship incredible place. And then as the church leaders review the needs from all of the various areas, then they all go out from one resource. And you don't have everybody robbing Peter to pay Paul going everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. It's just not order. <laughs> and I think we need to get to the business unusual way of even those things. Oh, step number four is just do good. I made it up. The do good means do get out of debt. Get out of debt, spend less. And then my husband and I sat down and we said, let's just do a graph that shows the stages of life. You all can read it. But start from kindergarten to elementary school. It's just a slice of the pie. You see that those are small slices of the pie in terms of the time invested to get your education and be prepared for a working career, do you realize your working life can be, and maybe some people are working longer, 40 years. Some people are working longer than that. My husband worked 40 years, and I did just a little over 30 years. So combined with GM, we have over 70 years of corporate leadership experience together. And so when it comes just to sitting down talking about leadership, I just think we make an awesome team because, you know, we've been there, done that, and succeeded more often than we didn't. But think about it. It's worth it when you can show our young people that 22% of all of that pie you will have for your retirement years. And so it's important to spend those earlier years preparing for the day when you will no longer have that job and you will no longer have that working income and you're going to need a little bit more than just Social Security. Does everybody understand that? And that's how you start it early. If you want to be debt free, do like blind Bartimaeus and just cry out to the Lord and ask for help. If you want to be, a, be, be debt free, you got, you got to create a budget. You need to know what it is and you need to get some help if you don't know how to create and follow one. We have it in our home even today, and I think it's important for us to do it from the home, the church, and even in our schools. And you just got to pay off things and do everything that you can to stay out of debt. Pay off steps. I told you there were five. Step number five, and I only have two more to go. This is how you build your wealth. And some of you may have some different opinions. But I think that for the ordinary person like me, who had not inherited anything, from anyone, I'll be the first in my generation to leave an inheritance for somebody in my family, the first. And I want to be clear, starting out, as I shared with you last night and today, where I started from, making, I don't know what, maybe a dollar and a half a day, I want to give careful thought to who I am going to leave. And we're not, don't think how big my inheritance will be. I'm telling you there will be an inheritance from my life. I'm the first in my whole generation of my family to leave that. 
I'm going to be thinking carefully about whose name I write down because I've worked too hard for it. Everybody understand that? So apply it to your own life. Start thinking about those things now. You are not too young to have some things in place. Everybody, I want to get ahead here a little bit because my time is winding down, but I feel so strongly that every single person, no matter what level of wealth you feel you have, should have a will and a living revocable trust. This is an ASI convention. And with all of the resources and with all of the gifts that I have seen here this week, could it be that every single one of you with an ASI badge already has a will and a living revocable trust. I'm not going to ask you to show hands. But if you don't, I'm appealing to you. Get it. It's the right way to live. It's the best way to live. A will is not enough. The laws of the land don't give you any protection with a will. It simply expresses before your death what you would desire to happen with whatever resources you have left. But anybody, even a non-relative, can contest a will. So when you've come from where I've come from, you ought to know I have both a will and a living revocable trust. I'm too clear in my words for there to be any question about what I want to happen to my $25. It's that simple. And with the living revocable trust, by law it's honored. You avoid all probate fees and taxes and probate court and all of that. Think more of your wife, more of your husband, more of the children, more of all family members that you and I may leave behind that will have to go through some hoops in order to just settle things. And by the time you go through that settlement, you may not have very much left because you've had to pay fees and things like that. Have I made myself clear? This is how God's people should take care of business while we're still alive. He's given us today, and I pray that in your own hearts and minds, you will say to yourself right now, by God's grace, I'm going to do my research back where I live, and I'm going to find somebody that knows what they're talking about. Because not every lawyer is gifted and putting together wills and living revocable trust. They're not. So you want to find someone whose career is in doing that, and then you need to get it done. It is done, done, done in my family and anybody that I've worked with, anybody that I have helped, those five senior citizens that I told you that I was not related to that were Adventists back in the area where I live, I said I cannot touch, will not touch anything in trying to help you in, your, in the final stages of your life unless while you are still cognizant and you can still make decisions, you get an attorney and get a will and a living revocable trust so that you can work with that legal person to lay out exactly what your desires are. And then I will administrate it at no fee whatsoever because you're not allowed to. 
you know, as an administrator. I pray by God's grace, because that was at the end, but I saw a few people moving, and I wanted to give you that as something from my heart. Every person ought to have a will and a living revocable trust. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. And you can do your own research there. You can build worth through savings and investments. So the two ways that I did, very young. You know, out of college, starting my career very young. i just tell you what I did. The executives and managers at GM would meet in the cafeteria. And, you know, mostly men, very few. There weren't any women at that level. But I would always try to get a table in the lunchroom. I wasn't, I wasn't snooping on them. But I just knew, <laughs> knew that they would be talking about things that, how else am I going to learn it? And that's how I learned. I was listening to their conversations. I could have been talking about buying shoes and pocketbooks and dresses and things like that. But back then, right out of college, I was interested in what those executive leaders would be talking about at the lunch table. And it was generally about investments, you know, and this stock and that stock and doing this and GM stock and all of that. And so I didn't interrupt, but I listened. And then I just went to personnel and I started buying stock. I hardly knew what a stock was way back then. I'm talking about the 60s. I didn't know. But back then, stocks split. I didn't know. But I just kept saving, and I wasn't taking anything out. I kept saving, and the stock split. I just, it just stayed in. And my wealth just built. God is great in his unusual ways of leading his children to the help that they need. That's what he did for me. And it just put me on a course from those cotton fields to that corporate office, just listening and valuing those conversations and then acting on it. It set me on a course so that uh, things are good. God is good. (laughs) I just love the way he does business. I really do. (laughs) Growing your savings over time is the key to building wealth. Not just wealth to just build up for yourself, but I have a heart for giving. I love to give and I love to service. There's no greater work. This is the best part of my life. Not working all about 30-something years for GM, but now it's just working for the Lord for free. It's just wonderful. It's a joy. It really is. The richest 1%, I just want to say this. Hey, as some people in here have achieved this, the richest 1% of Americans saved 20% of their income. And way back then, I was listening to those conversations and I started saving, even though I felt like I couldn't afford it. I started saving 20% of my income. That's how you become among that 1% of the rich. It's not that it's a goal. It just comes with the territory. And I tell you, it's, it's good to uh, take that journey with the Lord being your, your leader and your guide. I say the key to any savings plan is to save systematically. How do you go from zero in savings to a retirement nest egg? Well, I don't know. There are a few people in here that, that might be age 50. I don't know if you have enough saved so that you uh, will be okay once you no longer have a paycheck coming along. But I'll just quickly try to go through this because my time is almost up and say, well, now, if you are 50 or older, there is something that you can do if you make a decision today. But if you're younger than 50, then you ought to be putting aside 20% of even your grass-cutting or babysitting income, saving it, and doing those things after you give your tithes and offerings. Okay, you'll need to do these three things. 
I'm not going to read them to you, but you are going to have to make a decision. If you are 50 and older, and you know you don't have a few um, hundred thousand or whatever, you know, in a savings for your retirement after you stop working, you're going to have to start setting aside a, a rather significant piece of change there in order to get you to where you need to be. And it's possible to do, but you've just got to make a commitment to do it. And you can read the slide there. You've got to cut, start cutting expenses, too, in order to be able to do that. How much income will you need after you retire? I think this is very, very important for everybody, I'm a math major, to just do the math. And so you say, okay, uh, I'm at $50,000 a year. So after I retire, how much income will I need after I retire? Because no one's job paycheck is going to keep coming after you retire. You'll be getting other income streams. It won't be that payroll check from the company that you're working for. Okay? So you are going to need to run through a math model of saying, after you retire, you will need at least X number of thousands of dollars a year for you to kind of continue to live at the level that you're living today. You have to do it. And every person should do the math. If you're still working, uh, you need to take out a pencil and piece of paper right now and write down these notes and say, after I retire X number of years, how much money am I going to need to have coming in? Or otherwise, it's going to be some not-so-good days. This is what I did. Here's an example right here. I say that if you are close to 30 years old, if you're really on track, on track, for having a savings for your retirement, you need to have half of whatever your income is right now. Now, I see one lady taking a picture of this. I have never given this presentation without some very gifted and smart people taking a, taking a picture of this slide. It speaks volumes. Yes, I see your hand. Hold for a second. If you are 35 years old, you should have at least one time your salary in a savings right now if you're 35. And then it just goes up. If you 40, whatever your salary is right now at 40, multiply it by two. And that's what you should have in a savings that you're not touching. And so on down the line. And if you are more than 25 or 30, more than 40, and you are 67 years old or more, and you hear me talking right now, then I'm telling you, that, and some of us are blessed, and so this is not an issue, but I'm talking about individuals who uh, may have uh, not had my same background, but you know, you work. You, you haven't inherited, um, you know, a lot. Well, then if you're 67 plus, then in your savings, if you really want to be prepared for your retirement, you ought to have eight times whatever your salary is right now if you're still working. Does that, everybody make sense? Does that make sense to everybody? All right, plan for your retirement, plan for your retirement. I just listed a lot of steps. The whole point is you need to start now. You're young, but you need to start now. And you, have, you just got to learn some of these tools and start applying them now while you're young. Because at, at my age, where I am now, the steps that I'm taking you through, I follow them. So I'm set. And from the savings income, we work with an investment uh, uh, firm 
that Donald had as an executive with GM. They, they back during that time, they would set all executives up with a one-on-one -on -one, uh, advisorship from the president of some investment firm because they wanted all of their top leaders to get these done things in place and to do it right. That was an added value benefit of being a GM executive. So we were blessed to be able to have, you know, that as a support resource for the jobs that we were providing. And so today, we live from those investments. Does everybody understand? And you, we work with our investment advisor and decide what level of income we want to draw from it. That is a choice that my husband makes. How much? And, you know, we're Christians, so we're not trying to prove a point to anybody. We try to take a level that keeps us along with ordinary people, regular people like us, not trying to prove a point. That's God's way. And it will hopefully carry us through the years that we will have left on this earth. Does everybody understand? And then you have your living revocable trust in your will, uh, which we do, that designates what we want to happen after we are no longer here. It's a good thing to manage that part of your life also. I guess we have discussions about it every week. You know, because as long as we live, we can make adjustments. <laughs> Might need to make some changes. <laughs> you got to plan for it. And so this is just an idea for all of our young college graduate students here. You know, you can start out just with a monthly investment of $100, but start someplace. And those numbers can get bigger. And it just shows you that if you're putting it in the savings, and some of these interest rates are, they're, they're not that high anymore, but I'm living, I'm still dreaming about how it was and the, during the period of time when I was building my wealth. But it's a good thing. Whatever the percentage is for wherever you put your money, let it grow some interest. Don't take it out. And it will build over time. And you can start making small amounts of, over here like it is over on the left. I did it. And you can do the same thing. $6,000 a year, for example, just take out and make it more simple. If you can come up with that and put that on a 401k, then at whatever percentage rate, the best one, work with your banks or other investment firms, let it grow, especially if you're young. You can start out with something that small. If you can do more, then great. But I was at this point when I started. <laughs> And so I'm just um, thankful for how the Lord blessed. Not trying to give you any investment advice, but I can tell you this. I created these uh, pie charts myself, and especially the one over top. If you are zero to five years from retirement, that's when Donald and I began to make some adjustments. Because we were thinking about when I might retire. And that's when we began to make some adjustments in terms of uh, how much we had in stocks and bonds and things like that. Everything becomes more short-term in terms of your investments the closer you get to your retirement years. When you are younger, like many of the students who are here, then, you know, the sky is the limit. And you, you got time. You're not thinking about zero to five years. You're thinking about working for 40 or 45 more years. 
And so your investment strategy should follow along these terms. It should be more long-term for things than short-term. The closer you get to that retirement uh, year that you think, then it ought to be more short-time. You don't want to do anything long-time tying up your money. We got it? Perfect. Okay. All right, I only have one more step to do. So you got to pay for your future, and I'm just talking to all my girlfriends in here. So, yes, let's just go, go shopping. But I am touching shoes and pocketbooks less at this stage. Because if you touch it, then you're more inclined to be attached. And so you just got to say a little prayer and walk on off real quick. That's what you have to do. But I mean, I still love, I mean, I still love to, to do some of that. But you got to be responsible. You got to know where you stand. And you got to be accountable. And that means know where you stand financially also. And be responsible. It, don't blame a divorce or the father of the children didn't pay support. Don't blame. Live a life without blaming anybody. You take responsibility. And you be accountable. And if that's where you are, then just ask God for help in all of those types of situations. Women, I, listen to me. Maybe you all haven't had some of the experiences that I had. But I grew up with grandparents having to raise me. Because my mother was far too young when she was pregnant with me. But I'm not blaming my mom for that. I just praise God that I was born, because I'm liking life. It's good. <laughs> and however all of that happened, I wasn't there, I wasn't responsible. I just believe I am God's gift to ASI today. And I'm feeling pretty good about it. I really am. I'm almost done, and I almost made it. I'm going to shout hallelujah on the streets when I walk out of here. But I am going to give you all a cookie if you want one. You might have to share it with somebody. Listen, let me just tell you, this is a, uh-oh, okay. You got to take care of your own family. I have to sit down or it won't move. Okay, I'm almost there. Because let me tell you, when death occurs, money can tear families apart. And, and in my family, there was no money from those cotton fields down there in Alabama. But my grandmother did know how to quilt quilts. Does anybody understand what that is? You know, they made the quilts. Well, they didn't fight over the money, but they fought over the quilts. I didn't even get a quilt, not even the one that I slept under. But when we get to heaven, I want all of my ASI family to find my grandmother who raised me at a time when uh, it was a gift and took me on uh, after giving birth to 17 children and then she raised me. I hope you will tell her that she did a pretty good job. Yeah. So you need to sit down with your own family and talk about life. And it's okay to ask your parents in a way that they don't think that you're trying to get after whatever they have. But you just want to ask them if everything is in order. We have far too many members, seniors in our churches, and things were not in order, and many churches um, are having to help uh, bury them. But we can have a conversation, right, ASI, to just make sure 
that they get the resources and the help that they need. Get, um, if you're zero to 64, you should have some life insurance. That would be helpful. And some of the policies that our seniors that are up in years purchase, they pay it on them faithfully, but they weren't worth anything. <laughs> and so we need to help them to understand, you know, just what does this policy pay at your death? And if it's your parents, just tell them you're willing to just take a look at it to make sure everything is, is in order. Not that you are looking for any benefit. You just want their wishes and their needs to be taken care of. Um, uh, disability insurance or long-term care insurance. I have that in my family because, uh, you know, my sister uh, has now been ill for a, n a number of years, and so I was able to talk my brother-in-law into, let's get some long-term uh, care insurance for her. And this is a very um, uh, smart uh, sister that I had that worked, both of us worked for NASA on the space program. She was one of those mathematicians. Um, but just didn't make it to the movie, <laughs> like the one that we saw. But um, from those cotton fields, that's where the Lord led us, and he gifted us with the skills so that we, we did well at the university and uh, also in our careers. But, um, and this last part here, um, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and share it. I w want you to know that just because you're a Christian and you're an Adventist, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from your children not having uh, any uh, um, problems with drugs. I sent my son to Adventist church school from day one. Uh, but, you know, the, Satan wants to take the very best. He was a very gifted musician, um, talented on drums and organ and piano, and he's alive today. Uh, praise God, but he went through um, 20 plus years, you know, of, uh, of an addiction. And it, um, uh, his association with it came from within the church. How difficult that was for me. And you are the first audience that I've ever shared this detail with. But prayer does change things. And I, I knew I didn't give birth to someone that was worthless. And so I hung in there, and for anybody around the world that may have prayed for my son, I praise God for, the, for their prayers, because he is now on a better path. I went back to school, got his bachelor's degree, after 20 years of just being in a ditch, lost, from Adventist training. But the Lord didn't allow that training to come back void. And so he has now restored him. And I'm grateful. He's got his MBA and then a second master's. And he's in a doctoral program. So every creation of God has some value. And it's time for us to just do more to help everyone, but I will be honest with you. Now, I'm a leader, and I've been a corporate leader, so let me wipe away my tears real quick and tell you that when you go through a situation like that, then you need to do those things that are best 
for your son that's going through the challenges. So for what good would it be? I travel a lot, and I could have lost my life in some accident. So I had to put in place in my will and revocable living trust care, proper care, someone who could help guide and make those decisions. I hope you're following me. My son, yes, but it wouldn't be a good thing had I not left someone in charge that would handle it like me with a mother's love in terms of um, uh, his distribution. You got it. Everybody understand? Has nothing, it, has all, it has more than to do with love. It has to do with proper planning. So if you're in that situation, then do the right thing. Let me get quickly to the last step, and then I got to finish. You need the will and the trust, which is what I had to do, even for my son. And then step number seven, I'm, this is it. I'm done. The last step is, now that we have gone through this journey, we can rest. We went through six steps, and we worked through it. We got there. Some of us had a couple of tears. I know I did. I apologize. But we got there to the end of it. Rest because of who? The all-powerful God. He has the whole world in his hands, and he owns everything. All we have to do is just to believe. Rest is a gift. It is an indescribable delight for me. Rest means not giving up. Rest means trusting. Rest means having so much faith in God that you believe that whatever it is you ask him to do for you, that he will do as long as you believe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with all of your heart, that he will do what you've asked, plus some. Rest means that the God who created the universe can take care of every problem that you have. It doesn't have to be financial. It can be a spiritual problem, but God is capable of doing that. When you see God's provision as large as your faith, then we're going to spend less. We're going to have different attitudes. Those personalities that we have about money, they will all be in balance, in order. The physical and the spiritual will be in balance. I appeal to you to surrender everything to God's prayer and to, to, to God's care and to serve others with acts of kindness. Let me tell you, AASI, remember blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10 and know that from a combined biblical and financial perspective, wealth is about you and your family. It's about me and my family. It's not just about money. It's about every blessing of God. I have a conviction after this ASI presentation, like never before, that wealth is more than just about money alone. Wealth of any kind comes from God. He owns everything. I want to be owned by him. He has all power in his hands, and he has power to provide. Power enough to provide for you, power enough to provide for me, power enough to provide for our extended families. The time is now starting at this ASI convention today, to equip and to use your physical and your spiritual talents to serve and minister to others in order to do one thing. That's our whole purpose for being here, and that is to hasten the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We can inspire each other here. We can connect with one another here. But most of all, let everyone be empowered to do more. That's where I started. That's me. Now I have my own company. I've written a lot of books. 
I'm going to do more for Jesus. This is not about me. This is about equipping myself by the power of God's grace so that I can serve more and to do more. God is good. He's brought me a mighty long way. Seven Steps was my first book. The Power of a New Attitude was the second one. Finances and Spirituality was my third book. I gave every pastor within my conference and in my union a free copy of the book because they need help too, and I recognized it. Some sent me a note of thanks, but I wasn't worried about that. It was a free gift. God's gift to me. Attitude, the winner's edge. For the young men that were at the hotel, let me tell you, you all are winners. You got that edge. And you gave me the encouragement. You showed up today on row number two, gave me my support. I praise God for you. Your attitudes are showing here at this ASI convention. They represent the personality that you have for both the spiritual and the physical aspects of your life. The power of praying together in unity. This is a new project. It's a gift to my conference. I do it every year at our camp meeting. I publish a book, and I, and I include all of the pastors that are in their conferences, and they all write a devotional message. And then we just gift it to the people to bless the people. Our own 10-day camp meeting devotional book. Who knew how business unusual that will be? This was the second book that I did with a focus on our youth. Our young people need us, but we need them more. And let's be serious about them, about equipping them to be the leaders of the future. Oh, they're ready. They really are. And then this is the book that I just finished. This is the last book for Camp Meeting 2019, Fit to Serve active in health and community engagement. I wanted to engage every member of my conference to be engaged in their communities from the aspect of what I call the right arm of the gospel, and that's health and community engagement. I have seen ASI applying some of these same principles. Why are we here? For me, as a Seventh-day Adventist, this is how we live our faith. And I'm happy to be a part of it. Let me just tell you, I'm going to end on this sweet note because I know you're going to fill out an eval on me. You can open up these boxes here. I hope you will because there are a few cookies in here. Whomever wants to come, I created this cookie recipe. Whatever gift God gives me, I want to use it so that I can, um, you know, be able to serve more people. It took me eight and a half years to create the recipe. But I have a United States government patent on it. I have my own company, and I have no customers. But one day, who knows what business unusual decision God's going to make about my cookie. And the next time I come to the ASI convention, it might be next year, I'll tell you, they're in every market, in every superstore, or super supermarket every, uh, around the world. I give thanks to God who gives the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Guess what? This was our seminar, The Way to Wholeness and Well-Being. We went through seven steps. I'm Doris Gothard. Thank you all and God bless. It was my privilege. God bless you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org